The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Thanks for joining us. You can go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America to find links to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. I hope you'll also be sure and listen to archived conversations with the guests you may have missed live. Every show is available on the Good Grief page. Today I'm welcoming Jan Phillips. Jan is an artist, author, workshop director, and social activist. She's executive director of the Living Kindness Foundation and co-founder of Syracuse Cultural Workers. She's taught in 23 countries, made a peace pilgrimage around the world, produced two CDs of original music, and creates videos on the power of creativity to transform consciousness. Her books include The Art of Original Thinking, The Making of a Thought Leader, Divining the Body, Marry Your Muse, God is at Eye Level, Photography as a Healing Art, Making Peace, Born Gay, and A Waste is a Terrible Thing to Mind. As an artist and speaker, Jan brings music, poetry, and images to all her audiences, using the arts to inspire and inform, blending East and West, art and activism, reflection and ritual. Jan's transformational presentations promote original thinking and evolutionary action. With stories, humor, and cutting-edge creativity, she connects the dots between science, spirituality, and social action. And you can find out more about her at her webpage, www.janphillips.com. Welcome, Jan. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here, Cheryl. I'm very happy to have you. As I as I told you before we went on, I've been immersing myself in your beautiful words, and I feel uh, very excited about our conversation. The, the language and inspiration in, in your books um, is, is just so evident, um, and, you know, including the poetry and the, the quotes from other writers, very meaningful to me. When did you kind of go in that direction of of sharing in a poetic way these ideas? I I, I believe it started when I was in, asked to teach at a women's writing conference and it was mm-hmm. a week long conference and I discovered then as women started to tell me all the reasons they weren't writing mm-hmm. that women that we have pretty effectively been silenced overall and that women's voices 
is nowhere near the amplification of men's voices in the culture at large. And so that became a problem for me. It was a social problem for me. And as an activist then, my strategy is to address that problem in a creative way. And I know the power of poetry to to heal us, to change our thinking, to move us forward. So I incorporate poetry into my work. And I know the power of music to wash over us and heal us. So I incorporate music. So it's from my own personal experience that I know these things. And I also know that one human being is very much like another human being. So if I have a feeling if I can do it, anyone can do it. And if it heals me, it'll heal all of us. I, I really uh, connect with that idea, idea that if you go to that deeply personal place, it will ultimately become universal. Is that kind of what you're talking about? That that's how you connect with others by sharing yourself? Yes, I think our personal stories are the containers, the velvet pouches for all of our wisdom that most people don't know how to access and therefore say ridiculous things like, I'm not creative and I'm not smart. (laughs) But, you know, somebody once said, Grace Paley, I think, said, anyone who survived childhood has enough material for a few novels. (laughs) That's good. And all of us... All of us have wisdom because every time we take a hit by life itself, uh, that's really, the the feeling of it is really wisdom being inserted into ourselves. And and the magic for us is to figure out how to get it back out. So that's the process I take people through because I know where it's buried and I know how to get it out. And I'm And I think I'm a good facilitator because I understand compassion and I understand grief and I understand the process of taking a tragedy and turning it into a kind of triumph. Well, of course, that that fits with your show. And while I was reading your books, I was thinking, okay, this is not a book exclusively about loss. And yet I know that it's those big experiences experiences of tragedy, loss, difficulty that often uh, kind of bring, our, bring us to our knees enough to do what you're suggesting in your books. Yes, isn't it interesting that often the instigation for a person to have a feeling she ought to write a book is experiencing the death of somebody Often a couple will start a foundation if their teenager has died of suicide or been killed or died in a car accident. Look at at Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Absolutely. So terrible, terrible tragedies once harvested and processed become the instigation for great action in the world. Uh, That's... I've I've just been speaking with several people lately about that uh, that impulse towards service once grief is as you say harvested. I love I love that word harvested. That hasn't occurred to me before. So thank you for that. Welcome. <laughs> Sometimes just the beauty of the words 
carried me away. I want to. I want to give you a, a for instance. Uh, how could we not be one when the lines of your poem fall like a bucket into the well of my heart? That's I, a sweet line. That's yours. Well, yes, wonder <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that that just. Uh, uh, everything in me sort of warmed up when I read that and um, I wondered if you remember probably not if you're you know what what kind of thing would bring those words about for you you might have to guess exactly I'll tell you exactly because I know just when it sprung up because I spend an hour every morning in my bed I have a candle burning I don't need any evidence that there's a God some days I imagine there's not but I burn the candle and I commit to solitude. And that's all I need is an hour. In some days it has to be abbreviated so it's only 20 minutes. But every day I have a spiritual practice. And often in the middle or at the end of it, I go for my journal and things appear. Thoughts and words appear, and that is the direct result of my communion time, my solitude and my communion time with intelligence at large. And therefore, it comes, it feels like a reward. Okay, you know, I have opened up the door. I said, I'm here, come in, and Mm -hmm. intelligence or mind at large comes in and flushes through me. And ends up with a line saying, "How can we not be one?" Mm. So it's it's uh, a welcoming presence in you to which the words uh, arrive. Yes, but it, you know it, that words like that don't come if I'm in the middle of a hectic, chaotic day. Mm-hmm. It, they come in a place of solitude, and that's the ultimate commitment. And that nobody, I don't think anybody, can be as creatively brilliant as we're meant to be if we don't have a commitment to some solitary time every day. That, I think, is a minimum daily requirement, 20 minutes. And uh, it doesn't sound as if you've got any um, requirements on what that time looks like. Am I right about that? Well, there is a requirement. No electronics allowed. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't really be solitary in that case, most likely, would it? Well, I know, but you know, people try and sneak it in. <laughs> just so a I little just say an absolute solitude. And that's why I light a candle and that represents I'm present to the force. I'm present to the invisible forces that breathe through me every day and all night. Kind of a... Uh, 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 visual reminder of where you're going in a way hmm? yeah because of course our thoughts wander but if you have a flame in front of you it's a grounding it's a grounding element for me mm-hmm. I'd love to have the listeners hear just a little bit from the book how about if we play the the clip we have no ordinary time is there anything you'd like to say about it before we we do No, I think it's just, it comes from the introduction to the book where I'm trying to set the stage for people to, you know, it's a book of hours, which is based on a medieval kind of uh, architecture for a book. That's when the monks, when Christianity ruled the world, 
when religion ruled the world, that's known as the Dark Ages, remember. Mm-hmm. But the monks and the nuns all lived according to the canonical hours, and they divided the day up into eight segments of three hours when and they gave each one a name, and it was for prayer time. So I am introducing the, the thought of the book No Ordinary Time in, in this introductory segment. Thank you. From the introduction to No Ordinary Time. This book of ours is designed to give people a way to stay spiritually grounded throughout the day. It is based on the premise that we are in consort with our own source and creator, the invisible one, known as God, and the visible one, known as Earth. I am writing it for the ones who already know there is no distance between the divine and the mortal, who already engage in an unmediated love affair with the creator, and who, in large numbers, have had to leave the churches that refuse to be relevant in these times of crisis. Many of these words will seem blasphemous to religious adherents who think there is only one way to be faithful, but one of the greatest ways we can serve each other is to challenge each other's thoughts. If this book does what I hope it does, you may experience some agony as you release the old for what is emerging. I have stretched in my spiritual practice to think and pray not only as a Christian, but as a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Native American, an atheist, a post-theist. I try on different hats as I light my candle, and while my thoughts might change or my prayers change, the presence I am steeped in never alters. The ground of my being never moves. No matter what my spiritual stance, awe and adoration are the common ground. As I wrote one day during my morning prayers, if there is a God, I am in awe. If there is not a God, I am in greater awe. It reminds me of, uh, I I used to sit quite a bit with Stephen Levine. And uh, he used to talk about the uh, (laughs) which, which is a little hard to capture you know, because that in context, that was just sort of what is underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, no real word for it, and I, I, uh, I feel that with with that statement too. Yes. What what is underneath it all? And so you don't get too troubled about trying to sort out which thing you believe. No, I never ever defend any spiritual beliefs it doesn't is it not it's none of my business what anyone else believes it's only my business what I believe and I care less about beliefs than I care about my action so I I, I don't even day to day our beliefs change right because yes. it's kind of based on our it's based on how do you feel when you wake up in the morning beliefs are pretty fragile once you let go of what they told you was true, I mean, I was raised Catholic. I, I was so Catholic, I went into a convent. Mm. So, and I got in fistfights with young Methodists who who said certain things that as a Catholic I knew were not right. Right? So <laughs> That's I, ironic, I isn't it? <laughs> bully. I was a total Catholic bully. 
Right? The little kid says, Jesus was not born on December 25th. He was too, pow. <laughs> you know, just crazy. Because I was indoctrinated the same as a Muslim terrorist. I was not indoctrinated to go to war, but I was indoctrinated. You know, and Tony DeMello, he was a great Jesuit, Indian, Hindu Jesuit, who said, that the same training it takes to make a Francis of Assisi, it takes to make a terrorist. Mm. It's that installation of ideas along with great fear and along with do it when they're young enough to trust authority. So we have to, as adults, we have to grow ourselves up and take a look at all those beliefs that were installed like software that's now corrupt that, and that, let them go. Yes, that's, that's a great time to go to our first break. Uh, when we come back, I really want to talk about the vision that, that you have and, and um, how, you t- how you communicate that. So, listeners, during the break, you can go to the Good Grief host page to connect with me in your favorite way. Thank you all for listening. Please send me an email or message me on Facebook and let me know what draws you to the show. If you'd like to learn more about Jan, you can find her at janphillips.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me, as you probably know, at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today I'm here with Jan Phillips, an artist, author, social activist, workshop leader, to talk about spiritual practice as a way through grief. And um, I, I want to talk about the words you use to help people you know, get to their deeper uh, story, their deeper place, and also about what has helped you get there. I, I assume probably the things that you share come from having had those experiences yourself of of connecting to a certain way through. Um, what what has helped you? And how does that communicate itself into the things you share with other people? The thing that helped me really get my balance and my ground in the world of late um, was back in the early 90s. uh, I had lost my, I was working as a photographer for the Catholic newspaper in Syracuse, New York. And I lost my I lost the job to an intern who said she'd do my work for free and so I have a a good friend who's very very intuitive almost psychic you might say a catholic sister and I called her up to say what should I do mm-hmm. now and she says well it's this is a great opportunity for you there you are in Syracuse New York why don't you do go to grad school so upon her recommendation, she said it'd be, you know, a really good idea. So I, I sign up for grad school. I'm in photo communications because I had been a photographer for many years, already had a photo book published. But I was really hoping for Socrates Circle. But what I got was sur- I was surrounded by all these young sprouts who all they cared about was spring break in Cancun. And it was just the wrong kind of circle. It was a private school, pretty pricey. And I just couldn't find any what felt like allies to me. So I started to just feel really isolated and lonely. And I decided I was going to quit graduate school. So I called Paula, Sister Paula, up early one morning and said, Paula, because it was your idea, I'm, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to quit graduate school. And she kind of freaked out and and said, oh, my God, you can't, don't quit yet. Let me ask you, I have three questions. And so she asked me three questions in this order. Are you eating and drinking moderately? And I said, hell no. I'm, you know, I'm throwing quarters in every candy machine on campus. <laughs> and I said, I'm drinking huge amounts of jug wine every night just to try and, you know, feel sane. She goes, oh, dear, oh, dear. What? She goes, what's your spiritual practice? I said, oh, I don't have a spiritual practice. She says, oh, dear, oh, dear. And she goes, what are you doing for your body? I said, nothing, absolutely nothing. She goes, oh, Jan, life can never, ever work out right for you 
if you don't have those three things taken care of. So take two weeks, figure out a plan, address those issues, and call me back in two weeks. So it's still like 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm in my bed. My first thought is, what in the heck am I going to do for a spiritual practice? And so that's when I came up with exactly what I do right now. Only I said I'll do it only for 15 minutes. But it's light the candle. Don't have any magazines or newspapers. No, Back then there was no cell phones and there was no email. But it was nothing but me and the invisible and see what happens. That was my spiritual practice. And then I bought a bicycle that day. I started bicycling bicycling to work, and then I started eating and drinking moderately, so I gave up, um, not totally, I only drank wine on the weekends, and I gave up sugar and bad things for me. So I started eating healthy, riding my bicycle to work, and doing my little baby spiritual practice. And in two weeks, I called up Sister Paula, and I said, Paula, you're not going to believe what's happened. But everybody on campus has changed dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> it was so Did she fun. laugh? Yeah, she laughed. <laughs> she knew exactly what had happened. And that's when I started, that's when I got, when I started writing music, when I started developing all the songs that are on my first CD, All the Way to Heaven. And it's when I started writing my first book, uh, Marry Your Muse, it's when all heaven broke loose for me. And that's why I know the value of a spiritual practice. I do an hour a day just because it's my favorite time in the day, and I want to keep extending it as long as I mm-hmm. can. So I've altered my life to accommodate it, and I get up an hour earlier so that I could have the joy of that solitude and communion you know, every day for an hour. But I know that's the magic formula. You know, uh, as a therapist, because I'm a grief counselor when I'm not on the radio, and uh, that's such an incredibly remarkable story because I've worked for long, long, long periods of time to get close to changing one of those things with people. There's generally a lot of resistance to change in those three areas. Yeah. And I wonder what it was in you that just went for it all at once. Well, because Paula is my spiritual mentor. She's a psychic. You know, she created an astrology system. She reads Sanskrit. She's a mystic. And when she says something to me, I do it. So it was based on my relationship with her, my trust in her intuition with that caused me to believe in that with such abandon that I committed. It was only for two weeks, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Time limit does help, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, yeah. And the trust, um, that seems so key. Uh, I, I was thinking, um, you know, I, I have a page on my website where I... Uh, list possibilities of things you you can do to take care of yourself in a hard time, in a time of loss. And the first is 
Uh, the first on the list is let your own grief tell you what it needs. And the last is listen to the whispers in your heart. And one of my daughters saw it. And, and she said, well, Mom, why does anyone need those things in between if they're just supposed to listen to themselves? <laughs> and yeah. um, so it's that paradox, isn't it? You, um, as someone who does workshops, you offer things, but you have to not uh, be attached to whether people do particular things, I guess. Uh, how, does that, how does that go together for you, the fact that you have these experiences to share and the fact that people have to listen to their own inner wisdom. You know, I tell everyone at the end, not at the end of a creativity workshop, but at the end of a like a facilitator training, when people come and pay the big bucks to learn how to be facilitators and run groups, and we're together from Friday through Sunday, and it's a big event, I tell them at the end of it, if I ever run into you anywhere in an airport or a grocery store, I am going to pretend like this never happened. I am never going to ask you if you're true to it, if you're doing it, because that is not my business. I'm never going to call you into accountability, you know, so they don't have to thrill, feel threatened by that. But I do make sure at the end of every event I ever facilitate that people do write down commitments that they are making as a result of the work that we have done together. And my only hope and my hope is that they remain true to those commitments. But, you know, a lot of people don't and they're the people that don't mean it. You know, people come up to me and say things like, I don't have time for a spiritual practice. And I just say, okay, I don't have time to talk to you. Because <laughs> if they're not committed enough, you know, whether it's 10 minutes a day, I don't care. But the level of commitment is the indicator that they are serious about their life being great. You know, I, f- I facilitated a group for women with cancer, and we were talking the other night about how what had changed for them was their commitment to themselves. Um, yeah. That that they'd had the experience of having to give themselves everything. Yes. And so they couldn't go back to kind of casting themselves aside in some way. And I think of that, too, that you're actually asking people to commit to themselves. They've, yes. they've come up with something in the course of talking that seems important. I'm guessing it's different things for different people. Yes. And they have to commit to themselves to bring that about. Yes, because what they come up with is their reason for being. Mm. The reason they're embodied. Because our soul has a plan, at least in my opinion. Our soul had a plan for us a blueprint for us but we had to take on a body to do the work here on earth because that's the earth rules and so the soul has to deal with the body but when we get here everyone says it's all about the body and there's hardly anyone coaching us in the matter of the soul and so my work with people is that soul level work and so when they at the end of the day, say, oh, my God, I get it. 
I understand it. Then they make their commitments then. But, you know, because we know that it happens with cancer. You know, I worked with a lot of women with cancer. And it's near-death experiences do that to everybody. Because you end up with a little voice that says, hey, you're lucky enough to live. You almost didn't. How are you going to tweak your life so it's right? And grief gives people permission to do that. Cancer gives them a near-death experience gives them permission but regular life itself doesn't because of the power of the culture and the power of the church and the power of the institutions so shy of having one of those dramatic experiences then you have to hope to get it in some kind of transformative workshop which is what I do but there's a lot of charlatans out there too you know and so you might pay some money to have a transformative experience and it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. because you weren't in the right hands. So, you know, I just encourage people to get in the right circle. You know, if anyone's listening to this program, you know, I'd say to them, you better get on my newsletter list because that's going to tell you important things. It's going to you know, let you know of important events that are good for you and good for your life and good for your soul. And it's a good circle, virtual as it is. We can really be helpful to people. You know, there's probably someone in Argentina right now listening to this, someone in Australia listening to this. There definitely is. I, I get lists of the countries people are in, and uh, I'm I'm awe-inspired by the different countries of of people that are listening. So I think uh, I think it is there is a global quality, and you t- you do talk about that a lot in your books, um, kind of a, a sense of worldwide movement towards a different sense of connection. Because people know those of us who know, we know it, and so we're reaching out to find each other, right? Like the mm-hmm. Balinese dancer who said, there's someone out there who needs you. Live your life so they can find you. Mm-hmm. That means no more namby-pamby approach to your marketing. Figure out what you know that other people don't know because we only know things from our personal experience. I can't know what you know. I can't know what your listeners know. I can only know what I know. So my job is to share that in every medium I can share it in. So I'm available everywhere. It's like every thought I ever had is on YouTube or on my website or in my books. I'm endlessly creating in every medium because I am committed to sharing everything I know. But I never want to be more committed than you to your own creation of your strategies for sharing what you know each of us has to reach a certain level of awareness of the value of our life experiences and how do we process them you know my mom my mom wrote three books and you know a few years ago I said write a book she goes I can't write a book I said well can you write a letter she goes, well, hell yes, anyone can write a letter. I said, well, write 20 letters <laughs> to me. And then we published her first book. And then after she saw that, she, and we just printed it at Kinko's and made 100 copies, but they disappeared because people wanted to know, how did she know what she knew? What were the stories that led to her knowing? Because all we want is the stories. 
I don't want your pithy platitudes. I want your stories. Mm-hmm. Right? And so she ended up, she died a few, you know, months ago, but she ended up r- having written four books. That's amazing. So you, you kind of cut it down to a doable, something she could envision doing. Yes. Just do it she 20 times. Her <laughs> first book is called Letters to Chad, Memories of My Childhood. She wrote it for her grandson. It's a fabulous book. And then she wrote my father's biography. And then she wrote the history of our family reunions and why we have them. And after I wrote No Ordinary Time, she wrote a book. It was just called Marge. That's her name. Marge. (laughs) I said, what's this? She goes, you want to know how come I think the way I think? Here's why. It was chapter one. My father and me. Chapter two. Your father and me. Chapter three. The church and me. And it was just the unfolding of how her thoughts got planted like seeds in her brain that were not even great. They were ridiculous thoughts. And she had to undo them one by one. But she did them. She undid them all by the end. What a miraculous gift for the people that love her. I'll say. To be able to really connect with how she thought about herself. Yes. And, and what impacted her. I find that really moving. Yes. Totally. And did you did you uh did she just go off and do it entirely by herself or did you interact about it? How'd that go? No, I went away for a weekend to teach. I came back home and she goes, Here's my book sitting right on her coffee table next to her, my book. No ordinary time and then hers is in a, in a three in a three ring binder. Wow. With words in block letters like 42 point Marge. It was just a ride. She was a terrible book namer. <laughs> she never could name her books well. But, you know, she was a great writer because she told stories like Mark Twain. Oh. Our second break is here. And um, when we come back, I really want to talk about your, what well, I guess I want to call it your world vision. Uh, because it's just so um, illuminated in your books. Let's let's just um, talk more about that. And listeners, go to my p- page on Good Good Grief at Voice America or my website. I'm available for individual and couples therapy in California and for speaking and consulting nationally and internationally. And you can learn more about Jan at janphillips.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state of the art viewing experience, live and on demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. We've been talking with Jan Phillips author, artist, and workshop leader who guides people towards their own spiritual connectedness. Jan, I was really captured by the idea of putting into words what we want for the world to begin making it real. For instance, to say war is outdated or to say love is the answer. And I wondered in this culture of kind of realism and, you know, the sort of factual bent, is that a hard idea for people to embrace? Is what a hard idea. The, the idea of, of uh, saying as fact something you want to be embodied, something you want to be true. Well, <clears throat> every one of us has our own edge and our own ability to speak as they say, the line speak truth to power, although Michael Beckwith says speak truth from power. And I think, you know, the fact that it was Matthew Fox who said they outlawed slavery, it's time to outlaw war. And I just love that sentence because at some time we were part of a culture that let slavery go on and on and on. And now it horrifies us. And so when I think ahead to 30 or 40 years from now, I think of our grandchildren saying things like, can you believe they had dumps? Can you believe they let people run water while they brush their teeth? You know, the things that our grandchildren are going to say that cause us to have shame and to feel, oh, my God, how could that be? I never thought of that. Right? Yeah. So I think that kind of thinking from the future gives us ideas for what, what it is, you know, how it is we want to be in the world. But I, it's pretty unaccessible. So my latest thinking in the matter is say two things. The thing that's your heart's desire and the thing that breaks your heart the most And when you have those two things in your hands, put them together and see if there's not some kind of combustion that causes you to know your true work in the world. Because, you know, I started Living Kindness Foundation when I got my heart broken in Nigeria in this little village where the kids had waited all day in line for a teacher to come and the teachers never showed up. 
you know, and I go up to visit that village and they pull me out of the Jeep into this little classroom that looked like it had been bombed like Dresden, looked like Baghdad. And they said, be my teacher, be my teacher. And I didn't know what to do. I said, what's one, what's two plus two? They go, four. I go, oh, my God, these kids have already been taught something. They're pretty smart. I had to make it harder. What's eight plus seven? Fifteen. Hmm. And I go, oh, no, I started to cry. I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I said, this is so wrong that you don't have a teacher because I'm no teacher for them. You know, I, I'm a teacher of another kind. Sure. I said, I will do what I can do as fast as I can to get this to get your teachers here. And that was like three years ago. And just yesterday I sent the second $10,000 check to that village and that learning center is half done and it has a house for a teacher on both ends of it. So I'm working with great velocity to see to it that those kids, and that was my heartbreak, was kids without an education. And my heart's desire is always to travel and to see what's going on in the world. So when my travel bumped up to my heartbreak, that caused a combustion that said, okay, start Living Kindness Foundation, raise money, get money over there, build that learning center, get on with it. So that's my idea. Well, that's that's an amazing idea because I know I hear a lot of people say there are a billion things to do. I'm overwhelmed. I can't pick one. You know, what should I do? I can't fix all the problems. Pick but that's, one. Pick pick one. Pick one. But, but you have you're you're recommending a particular way to pick it, which which makes all the emotional sense in the world to me. That because what breaks your heart. Say, oh, the rainforest, oh, the whales, oh, abandoned puppies. You know, what's your heart's desire? I want to play more golf. All right, well, then organize a golf tournament, make $6,000, and give it to the local SPCA. Like, that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) Do what you love to do, only do it with some purpose. Yes, I was... uh in in the book by my guest last week, M- Melissa Dalton Bradford, her son died. He was a basketball player, and his best friend went to Africa and figured out how to start a team, of a basketball team, and how to support it. He started a foundation, and that was definitely heartbreak meeting uh, yes. heart's desire, very exactly. very directly. Uh, so that's that's what popped to my head as you were speaking. Perfect. It's and, just exactly how it works. Yeah, and of course, I, I I think that would be true of every single person that I have on this show, actually, that their heartbreak has met their heart's desire and what has resulted has been awe-inspiring, very magnificent. So I'm going to keep that in my, in my uh, the way I talk about uh, how you make make your life meaningful, right? How do you figure out what's your right work? Yes. What's your right livelihood? Because at this point, everybody should be making their living based on what they love to do. And and how do you imagine economics comes into that? 
you know, because I can imagine some people who are uh, who have less access might say, "There's no way I can do that." Well, you know what? Every time I listen to I listen to NPR when I drive. And every time I listen to a story of someone's being interviewed, this morning the story was uh, Komodo dragons in the Tennessee Zoo. And there's this young guy, he sounds like he's in his 20s, and he's the authority on Komodo dragons at the Tennessee Zoo. And she asks him one intense question after another, and he answers them all. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, that guy loves animals. He wanted to work in a zoo. He figured out how to do it. He's in his mid-20s. That's the thing. And if we need any coaching at all, it's just to help the youth figure out what are they instinctively drawn toward. And to help, you know, maybe they don't have counselors in high school. I don't know. But because I never had that question because I knew I was going to be a nun from the age of 12. But I'll tell you, after I stopped being a nun because I was dismissed for being a little too wild, then I had to figure out what's what am I going to be in the world? And I picked social worker, which was wrong because that was like being Mother Teresa Mm. when I really wanted to be more like Gandhi. And that was a social activist. So we all need some reflective thinking about, we all need a partner to help us kind of heart storm out. What kind of force do I want to be in the world? And chances are pretty high you can make a living at it. Life is too generous. Life is too full of abundance to make it hard. But like I said, You have to be committed, and part of that commitment is to have a spiritual practice where you listen in to the next steps, and if somebody says, no way, Jose, then I say, okay, forget it then. Make up your own next steps. Mm. And you, you touched on something that's really captured a lot of my attention lately. How do we uh, communicate to youth these days, the way it is with youth, that all is possible, that that they can, uh, particularly in, in places like where I live, you know, east of me, uh, there's such a dire circumstance going on. But I do see that there are things that can communicate that to kids and they just do so much better with that message. And that's yes. part of what you're doing with, with your... Um, with your school, isn't it? Yes, it is. And just this morning, I went down to the Gay and Lesbian Community Center in San Diego and said, I want to see the program development person because I want to offer a leadership class for gay teens and a writing class for gay teens and women. And that was what I did after my dentist appointment in Hillcrest, which is our gay ghetto so you know there's a big community center and it occurred to me go ahead and offer yourself I could I'm a great facilitator of writing I'm a great facilitator of leadership courses so you know I follow my instincts yes you trust your instincts yeah you know Jan I I just don't want to let you go without people hearing your your song a song oh good (laughs) because uh I uh, um 
I think that really, um, well, being a musician myself, of course, I love to include music, but also I think it, this particular song, My Body, My Temple, really captures that um, spiritual center in physical action place that we are bodies. Um, you know, we're in bodies doing what you're talking about. So let's, let's play that now. My body, my temple, my palace My body, my vessel, my chalice I thank you for being my home away from home For giving me a chance to be on earth O Spirit, my wisdom, my wellspring, my question, my answer, my knowing. With open arms and bending knees, I call you to my breast, where you will find a holy place to rest. for the rest of my day. Jan, oh. I, I just have enjoyed this talk so much. Um, I'm sorry we have to end. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being with me. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for this opportunity, Cheryl. Absolutely. Listeners, you can find out more at janphillips.com and I hope you'll join me next week when Dietrich Stroh is my guest, an engineer by calling Dietrich's experience caring for his wife in the three months between her cancer diagnosis and her death moved him to write a book, Three Months, A Caretaker's Journey from Heartbreak to Healing. We'll be talking about what helped him and what he offers others to support them in their grief. Please be in touch and let me know what's led you to listen. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.